Shalom, everybody. Give it a second. Let these kids start to make their way out. Got everything ready to go. Yep. All right. Let's all humble ourselves before Almighty Yahweh. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our Elohim, King of the universe. Father, we come before you um, during this Holy, this uh, you know, feast that you have given us during these set-apart times to come out of the world and come to you. As we are gathered together, this great feast of ingathering, Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for the fellowship that we are finding here. Uh, we thank you for the, the wonderful teachings, for the beautiful music and songs. We just pray that you continue to pour out your Ruach on us and uh, help your people, Father, come together. And may we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Yeshua's name, we ask this prayer. Hallelujah. All right. <clears throat> so today, we're going to dive deep into why we are actually all here keeping this feast. We're going to look at what the meaning of this feast is and really the significance of it. And why does it even matter? And we're going to look at what we can learn from this feast And what we can also learn from the first exodus and the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness, we're going to talk about this way in the wilderness and try to learn what we can um, gather from it. So we know that we are told to dwell in tents during this feast because, why? As it says in Leviticus 23, 41, we've read this before, we're just going to go over it again, you shall celebrate it as a feast to Yahweh. For seven days in the year, it is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, otherwise known as tabernacles or tents. For seven days, all native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your Elohim. So we are to sleep in tents. Why? Because the Israelites spent 40 years dwelling in tents in the wilderness when they came out of the Exodus. Isn't it interesting that even the Feast of Tabernacles can be traced back and connected with it to the Exodus event? Everything seems to get connected to the Exodus event. I mean, Passover and unleavened bread, you know, for sure, we know that's, you know, that's when it took place. You know, we know that Shavuot is, is traditionally the day that the commandments were given on Mount Sinai, you know, when they came out for it. But even, um, even tabernacles is celebrated because the Israelites dwelled in tents after the, after the Exodus. It shouldn't be really that surprising, though. The Exodus is all about the redemption of Yahweh's people. You know, why else was Yahshua sacrificed on Passover? It's the redemption plan. Ever since the fall of Adam, the goal has been the redemption of man. And all the feasts, the feasts you know, they all point to this plan of redemption. The feasts are prophetic in nature, especially those of the seventh month. In Proverbs, Solomon tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. Everything happens in cycles. So, what can be learned about, or what can we learn from the first wilderness experience and the prophecies pertaining to the next exodus and this next event? That's what we're going to focus on today. The prophetic scriptures have much to say about this wilderness experience, and I believe it's something we need to pay attention to. The prophet Jeremiah says in um, 
chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says Yahweh, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it, and there you will find rest for your souls. So now let's get started by turning in our Bibles to Isaiah 43. We're going to break this down verse by verse because I feel there's a lot to learn here. You know, for most of you regulars that come here and come to the Bible study or at least tune in on the Zoom meeting, you know that we've been looking at Isaiah now for for the past year. And it's my belief and opinion that there isn't a more prophetic book in the Bible, um, especially when it comes to the, the this messianic teaching. Um, you know, the, the, the prophecies in Isaiah dealt with, you know, things in his time, but it also ident- deals with events in Israel and Judah for the next hundred years to the coming of the Mashiach, and as well as times and events from now through the kingdom. So let's turn Isaiah, uh, we're going to start in verse 14. Isaiah 43, 14. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in ships, in the ships in which they rejoice. So we're going to pause here. Here, we're told of the judgment that will be executed against, the ba- against Babylon and against their ships. These ships rep- represent the com- commerce and trade of the Babylonian system. And as we will see, or <clears throat> and as we will see this co- consumeristic society system, sorry, and as we will see this consumeristic societal system that Babylon depends on to make her rich. Without these ships, without this mode of commerce, she can't survive. Because remember, Babylon depends on you. Her survival depends on you. They need you to consume all the goods that they bring in their ships from overseas. You know, they need you to continue to buy your smartphones, your tablets, your TVs, all the, the, you know, the plastic goods that they ship over here. You know, with, without it, you know, how they survive. Without, if, they, if we're not buying all their... their Devices, all the tablets, they can't pump us full of, the, of all the propaganda to control us. Remember that riches and wealth are the false hope. And as one proverb puts it, it's an imaginary wall that somebody put, builds around themselves. But that's it. It's an imaginary wall. Those riches and, and wealth can't save you. We are all currently living in the Babylonian system. There's, there's no way to get at, you know, there's, there's no doubt about it. But we know that the tares will be sorted out from the wheat and brought to justice. The Babylonian commercial system will be brought to an end. We're going we're gonna to skip, keep your place, or just read off the screen here. We're going to jump and look at Revelation 18 for a few minutes. So in 18.2 it says, And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every clean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, And Elohim has remembered her iniquities. Skip into verse 9. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, 
will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. And verse 2 is very clear. Babylon, the world, the system, it is home to, to demonic forces and unclean spirits. They inhabit the broken vessels, the broken empty vessels of those in Washington, those in the media, and those in Hollywood, the elites that control this world. They are inhabited by unclean spirits, and they're the ones that run this Babylon system. <clears throat> but Yahweh is making a way for us, as we will soon see. We are called to remove ourselves from the luxurious living of this world. Keep in mind that most of our goods that we buy from the big box stores, you know, a lot of them are made by forced labor, by, by child labor overseas. You know, It might be cheap for us, it might save us money in our wallet, but when we reap the benefits of cheap products that are made to the detriment of others, we are reinforcing this Babylonian system. And we're also not treating others as we would want to be treated. The rulers of this world may lament, along with the media, about what a terrible thing it is that this system is collapsing. But we know that this comes from Yahweh. But before she falls, we are told that she will become even more oppressive. She's She's going to become angry. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17 say, Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, system will force a mark upon us. It's going to force a mark upon everyone in order to participate. You can't buy or sell without it. Now, I'm not saying that the current jab is the mark yet. However, as we heard yesterday, you know, there's a few things we see coming. Um, you know, I think Dr. Wilhelm did a great job yesterday, and I'm glad he, he talked to you guys before I did because I don't have to really go over as much. But we know that, that it appears likely that more tyrannical mandates are imminent. You know, like you talked about yesterday, the, jab, the jab will modify your DNA, tampering with what Yahweh created. Um, we can see it coming that if you don't comply, you're going to be subjected to re- repetitive testing, you know, a constant probing of your sinus cavity, you know, your forehead. It, they're, they're, they shove those things up there from what I'm told. I haven't gotten a test, but I'm tell, told it's not pleasant. Those that refuse the, the mark or the test, they will be, you know, ostracized and eventually persecuted. And if you can't work, which is selling your labor, you know, buying or selling, you know, you may not be a merchant, but you sell your labor. If you can't work, and then you can't buy, you know, if you don't comply, you can't buy, and that's going to put us all in a tough spot. This is why we must come out of her. For those of us that are paying attention, for those with ears to hear, we need to stand firm in our beliefs. One thing is for certain, when it's clear to you what the mark is, you, you must not take it. Revelation 14, 11 through 12 says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance. No matter what, you must refuse the mark. 
and you have to come out of the Babylonian system. Otherwise, you will suffer the fate of the rest of the world. We have to have the endurance of the saints. We have to keep the commandments, and we have to have faith in Yeshua and refuse the mark. We have to put our trust in him. Now, after that little sidetrack we took there, let's get back to Isaiah 43. Uh, We're picking it up in verse 15. I, Yahweh, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King, or I am Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise up. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Here, Yahweh is recalling the original exodus, where how he made a, a way through the Red Sea, and he dried up the waters to make a path on dry land for Israel. And not only did he make an escape for them, but in one great miracle, he provided a path for Israel and also brought an end to their pursuers. Two birds with one stone. It's very efficient. Yahweh does not like to waste miracles. What a great relief that the Israelites must have felt. Not only were they out of Egypt, but the army of Pharaoh was gone, and their immediate threats were gone. Hallelujah. We're going to have a hope for the same. Continuing on. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Seen this scripture misquoted and misused. I've even seen people tattoo it to their bodies. Most people misuse it to quote that, you know, the law is done away with, or he's going to do away with the law, and he's doing a new thing with J-E-S-U-S. But we know that that's not the case. It's a lying, deceitful spirit in the mouths of false prophets. What, is, what he is really saying is that he will do bigger and greater things than he has done before, to the extent that we won't even recall the miracles of the, of the Red Sea being opened up anymore. You know, the New Living Translation translate, translates it as, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am about to do. Quick side jump to Jeremiah 16, verses 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it shall no longer be said, as Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he has driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. And that's why we are here today. This is what we are talking about and what we are looking forward to, the greater exodus. This is why, or this is what we must prepare for and be ready for, both physically and spiritually, especially spiritually. No matter how much we prepare, though, I don't think we will ever be near ready for what is to come. But that's okay, because I think as long as we are prepared spiritually, I believe Yahweh will work with us where we are, and he will make a way for us. Remember when Yahshua fed the crowds? He had a little went a long way. You know, five loaves of bread and two fish, yet he felt, you know, fed the multitude, and there was still more left over than what they had in the beginning. So it's you know, have faith that he will prepare, you know, take whatever we have and multiply it. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare. We should. He will use everything that we have prepared. The strong must help the weak. 
But just keep in mind the parable of the ten virgins. Virgins, you have the five foolish and the five wise. The five foolish ones, when the when you know when the hour came, the door was closed. So we must be ready. We got to have our our you know our, our lamps got to be wicks got to be trimmed, or we have to have oil. They have to be filled with oil. We have to be ready. To me, not preparing is akin to just sitting around and ex- expecting a rapture. If you're not prepared, you're you're kind of just sitting there. It, it's not far off from just expecting a rapture. So I'm going to take a second here and just take a shameless plug. Join me tomorrow for the homesteading and preparedness workshop. We'll talk about more of all this, and there'll be a Q and answer question. Unless I get too much kickback, then I'll just shut down the questions. But not so. But no, we'll we'll talk about more of this tomorrow. Let's keep going in Isaiah uh, 43. Let's get back to that. There's a lot here that um, that pertains to what we're talking about. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my, my praise." He says that he will make a way in the wilderness. The word way in the English is translated from the Hebrew word darek. Derek, you know, if you've ever heard of somebody with the name Derek, it's a Hebrew name. So <clears throat> darek, it means a road as trodden. Figuratively, it's a course of life or a mode of action. Often, it's an adverb. This is the same word that's used when it is said that we are to walk in the way referring to the Torah of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy 5, 33, it says, You shall walk in all the way, that's walking direct, that Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long on the land that you shall possess. So I'm trying to, trying to make a connection here between this way, the way, and the way we should walk, which is in Torah. In Acts 22... When Paul is recalling about his, him persecuting uh, Yahshua's early followers, he calls them followers of what? Followers of the way, followers of Derek. This is the way we are to go. The way is our faith. You know, people ask what your faith is. It's the way. It's the direction intended for us to walk. The wilderness, the word wilderness here, where it says a way in the wilderness, it's the Hebrew word midbar is, the, is kind of the root and uh, or you know a lot of times you, you'll hear it as bamidbar, which is translated in the wilderness. Uh, the book of the Torah that we call Numbers is uh, in the Hebrew titled bamidbar, which is uh, which is really a better title. Not new numbers, you know. It starts out with a bunch of list of genealogies and everything. That's why they call it Numbers. But you know, really, the book itself follows the Israelites through their 40 years in the wilderness. So really, to me, I wish in the English they just would have called it in the wilderness. The word midbar, but midbar, midbar is actually appears in the Tanakh 271 times. So let's take a quick look at, at midbar. So it's in, it, like it's in the sense of, of driving but it means a pasture, an open field where cattle, where cattle are driven. By implication, a desert. And also, um, you know, it means speech can be speech. Um, but really, when we break it down and look at it, 
we can draw the meaning out of it. So first of all, it's from the like I said, uh, from the root the bar, which means to drive as you would livestock. Remember the message I gave about a month ago, entitled "Yahweh is our is my shepherd." But you know, where's where's pasture? Where's people? We're we're the sheep of his pasture. You know, so the fact that this word you know wilderness is is a pasture. You know, to me, there there's a lot to that. He's driving us there. As Yahweh's people, we his flock will be driven to the wilderness. The word midbar, by definition, is a pasture. So again, it's the place where Yahweh intends to drive us and keep it keep us safe. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to drive in drive home here. And let's take a quick look at it in uh, the Browns driver Briggs, just just for a little bit more clarity to drive this all home. Uh, it's tracts of land used for the pasturage of flocks and herds. It's an uninhabited land. And it's also large tracts of land bearing various names in certain districts of which there might be towns and cities. So from this, we can take the understanding that the wilderness is a place that is mostly uninhabited, or it's at least very rural. Uh, there may be towns located within it, um, as, as, you know, like certain, you know, certain little towns or cities within it, but the, the areas around it are mainly uninhabited. You know, but it's for sure away from any major city or metropolis, you know, especially any city that is a hub for the Babylonian system, like those that house a branch bank of the Federal Reserve. So let's take a, a few more places, or take a look at a few more places we find Derek Bamidbar, which is the way in the wilderness, and uh, what we can learn. So let's turn now to Isaiah 35, and uh, let's pick up here a little bit and... and uh, we're going to probably look at verses 1 through 10. So when I've always looked at this chapter in the past, I've pretty much always set it in, the, in the, the millennial kingdom. This is a millennial kingdom chapter. However, when I came across this chapter as a cross-reference to Isaiah 43, um, during my study for this, I began to look at it in a new light. And now I kind of place it at the time of the dwelling in the wilderness during the Great Tribulation. So, you know, maybe you'll see this, or hopefully you see it. And um, So let's break it down, I'll explain why. Uh, Starting in verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of Yahweh, the majesty of our Elohim. You know, so based on these opening verses, I would categorize it as a kingdom passage. But as we are about to see, the blossoming of the wilderness doesn't have to wait until after the Mashiach sets up the millennial kingdom. You know, here, though, in the beginning, we, we again have, have Midbar, the wilderness. So remember Isaiah 43, 19, where he said that he would make rivers in the desert? Um, so, you know, I guess we're, we're, I'm, I'm trying to tie in this, this rivers theme. So let's look at Isaiah 41, 17. It says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, Yahweh, will answer him. I, the Elohim of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, 
the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of Yahweh has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. In Isaiah 41, he is again telling us that he will make a, um, the wilderness into a pool of water. But at what time? When the poor and needy seek him. When we are in need. Why would someone be poor and needy? Well, maybe it's because they can't buy or sell, since they wouldn't take the mark. So just a little sidetrack there. I wanted to draw that comparison. Now let's jump back to Isaiah 35. Pick it up in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your Elohim will come with vengeance. With the recompense of Elohim, he will come and save you. Do you see why I think that, that this is a premillennial? Um, this is a premillennial kingdom verse? Because it says that our Elohim will come with vengeance. So he hasn't come yet. He said he will come and he will save us. Um, I would imagine in a tribulation scenario that many of us, okay, most of us, will, will feel weak and feeble and will have a lot of anxiety, as this verse says. But don't worry, let's just continue reading. He is providing a way out for us. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunts of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. These verses here were actually one of the core lines of one of my favorite songs we used to sing back in Frystown. I'm sure some of you guys probably heard of it. You know, he's, he's the mighty one of Israel. Love that song. But anyhow, you didn't, you didn't come here to listen to me sing. So we see, this ref, uh, we see this reference to the eyes of the ears being opened of those, uh, you know, to the opening of the, the deaf and the blind so can see. And, and, you know, it just reminds me, I don't know how many times Yahshua makes reference to those with eyes to see and ears to hear and, uh, you know, trying to understand his parables. You know, um, I believe that this is a reference at this point in this, in this chapter to those who are still walking in darkness when it comes to Torah and waking up and joining those in the wilderness during the second exodus. Let's see, let's keep going. Yep, uh, hold on. Okay, keep going in uh, verse 8. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness, or the set-apart way. It says, the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. Here, we have our word derek again for the way. Three times, actually. The way will be a highway. And it says that it will be the way of holiness, or derek kodesh, or the set-apart way. The way that's set apart. This is the way in the wilderness. Another interesting word found here is the Hebrew word halak. Now, many of you, it may sound familiar to some of you who have listened to any Hebrew roots teachings uh, about halakha, which is, refers to the way we walk out our faith through obedience to Torah. 
So what it's trying to say here, what it's saying is the set-apart way in their wilderness belongs to those who walk out their way in Torah. It is a path that leads to life. Let's take a look at another passage in Isaiah that proclaims this path as a highway in the wilderness. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. I know that this passage is, you know, a lot of it, People will attribute it, and I, I'm not disputing it. I believe it is. It's speaking of Johanna the Immerser proclaiming the way of Yahshua. But I also think it's prophetic of this way in the wilderness that will be an escape for those during the tribulation. It says that someone unclean will not walk on the path. You must be clean. But it, what it does say that it, that is someone is trying to walk in the way, that's trying, that's doing what they can, Though they may do foolish things, they will not go astray. So once we, you know, we're, we're not all perfect. We're, we're all, we all are kind of wandering this path in different ways. But once this happens and we all come together, you know, even the foolish man will not go astray once we're on this way. All right. Another sidetrack. Let's get to Isaiah, back to Isaiah 35. I keep, I'm keeping you flipping the pages. No lion shall be there. Nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it, on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and signs shall flee away. Again, we see this promise that the wild beast will, will not be found there, or at least and when we were reading Isaiah 43, 20 earlier, it says that they won't be hostile. Um, it states that they will, they will honor him. During my shepherd message, uh, we went through Ezekiel 34, which details the scatter, scattering and regathering of Yahweh's people. Um, remember in that chapter we read, <clears throat> I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish the wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. The Hebrew words that are, tra- that are translated as wild beasts is <clears throat> paritz, chai. So that's, that's two words. Paritz means a tyrant, a destroyer, you know, ravenous, robber. Chai means alive, hence raw flesh. Um, it's something fresh, strong. It, it has a, a lot of translations, but it's um, often meant to, you know, it's, a, it's translated as a living thing. The Septuagint translates the word here as, um, they use the word therion to translate wild beasts. When you look in the Septuagint in the Greek. Um, so and we're, what we're going to start to look at and I just, I'm pointing it out now as we start to look at it, it's my belief that this word therion could refer to a virus when it says wild beast. So <clears throat> therion there in the bottom uh, is a diminutive 
and it's a dangerous animal. It's a venomous wild beast. Like I said, I believe this could be referring to a virus. I know that by scientific definitions, virus itself is not a living thing. However, it uses your living cells to replicate itself, to attack you, to multiply, and to spread, as we learned yesterday. This would make sense when we look at Revelation chapter 6. So let's turn there real quick. Hold your place. Turn to Revelation uh, 6, verses 7 and 8. Uh, this is uh, what's referred to as the four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, and uh, we will read, uh, you know, it, we're reading about these four, and it's actually the first four seals. So as he's opening these four seals, these four different horsemen come out, and they, they're representing these, these end-time events. Um, so let's, verse 7 says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, it's my belief, my belief, nobody else's, that, um, not necessarily the ministries, but my belief that the, four, that the first four seals have already been opened. It says, and that these four horsemen are currently riding over the earth, bringing their plagues that will only get worse as time progresses. And that once, which I don't think the fifth seal has been opened yet, and that, but that once the fifth and sixth seals are open, um, this, will, this will begin what we know as the tribulation. Now, I'm not saying that with any certainty. However, it just this is a, something that's been on me for a while that I kind of believe. And um, I could be wrong, but it would also make sense, though, because these wild beasts, you know, it makes sense that they could be referring to viruses or another disease, not necessarily lions, tigers, or bears, because it's not like we're seeing 25% of the earth getting ripped apart by lions. However, we are seeing a large amount of people being affected by this virus or by the jab that goes along, you know, with it to supposedly protect us from it. But while the number is small now, of, of death, I believe that it that it's only going to increase, especially as more people get the the poke and increase, you know, which is going to increase the variants and other possible diseases, which in turn will require more mandates in the future. And then just think about this: uh, in Revelation, when it, the mark of the beast, the words "mark of the beast," it's actually translated from the Greek "charagma ho therion." Charagma actually means a scratch, an etch, or a stamp, or a mark. So now time will only tell if this theory will play out, but I feel we have to be on guard and we have to stand firm. The good news is that according to the promises that we are uncovering, Yahweh will make a way for us in the wilderness, where these wild beasts, whatever they are, will not be. So let's turn to one more scripture in Isaiah concerning this way in the wilderness. Uh, it's Isaiah 48. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. And I just I want to make it clear that Yahweh, through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, is sending us a pretty strong message here about this way in the wilderness. Isaiah 48:17. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am your Elohim, who teaches you to profit who leads you in the way you should go. Now, the word prophet 
is, um, in Hebrew, is the word ya'al. And it means to ascend, to be valuable, or to be useful. If we listen to him, to his voice, his, his spirit, his Ruach HaKadosh, if we listen to his commandments, he will teach us how to be of value to him. How to be useful for his good, for the purpose of his kingdom. To be ya'al, we must follow the ways of Yeshua, keeping his commandments, loving one another, helping each other wherever we can. That's you know, one of the important parts of this in gathering of people during this feast, learning to live with one another, learning to deal with all of our shortcomings, learning how to, to love one another. This is the way that we should go. This is, this is the way. Picking it up in verse 18. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would be, have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Here Yahweh is chastising those who will not walk in his way. As we see, they will be cut off. If you go way back to my... Uh, Grafting teaching, you know, they're cut off. That means you're no longer part of that, that, that covenant. And they, when you're cut off, you're burned, you're destroyed in the fire. Keep going in verse 20. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it. Send it out from the ends of the earth. Say, Yahweh has redeemed his servant Jacob. Here is this call that we read in the beginning in Revelation 18. Come out of her, my people. We must leave Babylon. We have to flee from her so that we are not subjected to her, to her plagues. Just think about this if you're, you know, when, if you're really deeply entwined in the cities. You know, if you're part of a big corporation with a lot of immoral agendas, it's time to leave there. If not, they're going to force you out. You're either going to take the mark to continue with them or, you know, you're going to be ostracized. And your, tribu- your tribulation, you're going to get it there. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get your tribulation if you don't come out. One way or another, it's coming. Keep reading in verse 21. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. Water again. Like, I see that word, and it makes me thirsty. So when we follow Yahweh, his ways may not always be easy. They may not always be pleasant things. It may not be what we want, or even it may not be what we expect. But he must continue to try us. He has to make sure we are perfect. He will refine us. He will refine us like gold and silver. But... When we trust in him, he will always provide a way for us. Sometimes it's in the place that we least expect. You know, it's from things that we don't expect, like getting water from the rock. You know, a big dry pile of rocks, you know, speak to it or strike it with a staff and water's coming out of it, you know. But so, you know, when we're afraid that the things might not be there, that, that it's not what we expect when we have those fears and apprehensions, we shouldn't hesitate to follow, you know, follow Yahweh into the wilderness. So now I want to turn uh, from Isaiah here, and I want to take take a look at chapter twelve of Revelation. You can see that. I guess. Sorry if the text is a little small. Um, 
Now there's a lot here. I'm not claiming to have full insight into this. There's so many levels relevant to what we're talking about. And, um, you know, that's what I want to try to unpack. Um, You know, I want to start by pointing out that I believe that this chapter kind of does a repeat of itself when you look at it. Um, Verses 1 through 6 are kind of a telling. And then certain events that occurred within verses 1 through 6 are then recounted in more depth. And we'll see this as we go through it. Um, you know, if anybody else has a different kind of view or interpretation, I'd love to, love to hear it, love to kind of get your take on it. But let's start reading, and, and we'll talk about it as we go. And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth so to start, here I believe that this woman is referring to Israel of old, before the birth of, Mes- of the Messiah. And that's basically what's represented by the crown of 12 stars. You know, the 12 stars represent the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Keep reading in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So I believe at the point in history when, um, so I believe at this point the dragon, the devil, um, became incarnate in the Roman Empire within Yeshua's time. When, when when the Roman Empire was ruling uh, Israel and Yehuda. Um, you know, they, they were, they were this, this dragon. I mean, look at the, you know, when you look back at the Roman, look at all the imagery that they had, just the, you know, the, the soldier, you know, the suits they wore, the, all the idols and the things that they had, you know, they're the ones, and it makes sense here. They're the ones that actually executed Yahshua. They're the ones that carried out his execution. And while they killed his flesh, they could not kill the spirit. That spirit was poured out on all those that were baptized into his name. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to Elohim and to his throne. Sister Carol, I love your, your uh, introduction earlier, you know, your song. It was almost like a little kind of introductory in here, you know, in the, you know that rod of iron smashing the, the pots of clay. But here's just more proof that this was referring to Yahshua. It states that he is the one to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but he's caught up to Yahweh and his throne. Verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by Elohim, in which she is to be, which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. That's, you do the math, it's three and a half years. Now, here is the verse in which we came here for, this... this uh, fled to the wilderness. Um, But there is a little bit of a mystery to figure it out. Number one, when is it taking place? Is it immediately after the birth of the child? A reader might think that based on the progression of the, may think this based on the progression of the text. However, we don't find any evidence in the book of Acts, you know, of of all the early believers running out to the wilderness right away. Actually, on the contrary, Yahshua told them to remain in Jerusalem. I believe this is why some of the events are now retold, starting in verse 7, uh, which, which we will get to in a minute. 
Um, but just a few points I want to make here before going on. First, I believe that this woman still represents Israel. Um, this is the physical and spiritual Israel, meaning that it includes those grafted in, basically any who are part of the covenant, but not referring to a physical nation at this point, but those that are of, of, you know, within the covenant through spiritual persuasion. Next, we find that she flees where to escape the devil or Babylon. She flees into the wilderness. And the last thing we find is that it will be, like I said, for a period of three and a half years. Now, uh, on to Revelation 12, or uh, to verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in the heaven. In heaven, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So I don't know if that, that's you know where I'm kind of seeing. You know, we we talked about how the you know the tail of the dragon swept down a third of the angels. You know, this is kind of, in my opinion, this is like this the second telling of it. The you know the you know it's expounding upon what was what we were first told. <clears throat> So in verse 3, though, you know, it's repeating what was said in verse 3, but in verse 3, it says it was a sign, right? But now it's giving us more detail. The sign is kind of is being expounded upon. Regardless, we know that Michael overcomes Satan and casts him down along with the demons here to earth. Uh, let's keep reading in verse 10. All right, it's still on the slide. And I, hear a lo- I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our Elohim and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been ca- cast down or been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our Elohim. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Now, there's a lot here, and um, it's a lot to unpack in this whole chapter that's really kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. Um, But let's just look at what's relevant to our discussion today. The kingdom of our Elohim and the authority of his Messiah have come, and we are part of that kingdom now. And under their authority, if we profess Yeshua, Yahweh's salvation, and we keep his commandments. And while the devil may accuse us, we can overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. And the most relevant part, we now live in the, the, most, we now live in the earth that is full of the wrath of Satan, who, who knows his time is short. So he is on a rampage at this point to deceive the entire world. Keep reading verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she may fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So Hasatan will pursue us, but we know that if we resist him, he will flee, 
James 4.7, remember that. James 4.7, if we resist him, he will flee. But now to the important part. Just as we were told back in verse 6, it says again that the woman will escape into the wilderness for three and a half years. The interesting part here is that we are told that she is given the, the you know, two wings of the great eagle. Now my thought, I, I, you know, other than when I read this, is that my thought is this may be referring to the two cherubim that sit, sits upon the Ark of the Covenant. It says that we are to be nourished. And I've heard many say, and I'm not contending with it, I, I believe it too, that it will be with manna. And um, that's very likely. But I also want to put this out there. If we are living in the wilderness, eating fresh fruit, foods from the earth, at least for a period of time, that there will be, you know, these foods that we're eating from the earth, that we're foraging, growing, whatever, um, they're going to be much, much, much more nourishing to us than the, this garbage food that comes out of the, the big ag system that we're all eating today. Everything that's sprayed with all kind, you know, sprayed with chemicals, it's all genetically modified, highly processed, and um, you know, they're modified, you know, to they're modified, and they do this to provide what profits. Not it doesn't profit us; it profits the big corporations so that they can make money. It doesn't provide nourishment to the people; it provides profit to the system. It's the Babylonian system at its finest. Take from the weak. To give to the poor. Let's keep reading in verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Now, for a long time, I had wondered what this river represented. Um, I believe that this river that's pouring forth is all the lies and deceptions that are poured out upon us that we hear day to day. And in a world of propaganda and misinformation, when truth, what is true is labeled false or mostly false, right? The fact check, this is mostly false. And the lies, you know, the lies are held up as truth. This explanation seems to make a lot of sense. You know, it's this flood of deception, whether it's false religion, religious doctrine and attacks against the truth and those that walk in Yahweh's way, or it's the news media spouting their lies concocted by their masters in pharmakia about the latest variant and why we need the latest booster in order to buy or sell. There is no shorter of lies flowing our way. I'm glad that Yahweh will send the earth to our rescue. It says that he's going to send the earth to our rescue. If we are living in the wilderness, away from the rest of the world, where these lies can't reach us or have little effect on us, you know, and we're just and we're walking in Yahweh's way, all these lies, that river is just going to fall to the earth and be, be taken up. It's not going to have effect on us. Praise Yahweh. <clears throat> Verse 17, to finish up uh, the chapter. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of Yahweh and hold to the testimony of Yeshua. So I've kind of always, you know, as I think about this second exodus, this this way in the wilderness, I kind of was always a little stumped by this verse. So it's like if the woman is is in the wilderness and the woman represents Israel and us, then who's are the who are those that are left behind? 
So the only plausible answer I can come up with is that there will be some of us or some that don't flee to the wilderness or for a purpose they don't go with. You know, for, um, for one, we know that at, at a point during the tribulation, you're going to have the two witnesses that are out there in Jerusalem. You know, so I imagine that there will be a remnant that does stay behind to continue to spread the good news and continue to do Yahweh's work, to continue to preach to the end, many of whom it says will end up as martyrs. May Yahweh be with them and bless them, if that's us or whoever that is. Now, let's finish this study by turning to the book of Deuteronomy, because I just kind of want to finish this up by looking at, at um, you know, the, this lesson, you know, from the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. Let's turn to Deuteronomy um, chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 2. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh, your Elohim, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. As I said in the beginning, I think there is much to learn from the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness. So I believe that this wilderness experience will be a humbling one. We will be tested during our times in the wilderness. We will no longer have the items of luxury that we had living back in Babylon. We're going to be eking out a meager existence. We're going to be dwelling in tents, our tabernacles. This is what the feast is here for, to prepare us for what is to come, both physically but especially spiritually. We need to learn to dwell with one another, as difficult as it can be at times. However, as we are about to see, Yahweh will take care of us, and if we trust in him, he will provide for all our needs. Your clothes did not wear out, and on your feet, or in your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, Yahweh your Elohim disciplines you, so that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim by walking in because where he is bringing us will be the idealistic, perfect vision of what the ancient Israelites were to inherit. For Yahweh your Elohim is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of figs and fig or of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless Yahweh your Elohim for the good land that he has given you. Just as the Israelites were promised a good land, we have the promise that of an eternal kingdom we are walking toward. And we must learn how to get there by trusting in Yahweh and not grumbling against him. I know we've just scratched the surface of this topic, and there's a lot more to talk about. There's a lot more to learn, and there's even more to prepare for. So I hope that you guys will join me tomorrow 
and um, I hope that you will join me as we make a way in the wilderness. May Yahweh bless you.